yeah, don't be ashamed. Uh, we got our tree up before, the Wednesday before us, so I don't really think that counts. I think we're in the, in the say. Really, we think about it, Thanksgiving is like only a month away, and I love having Christmas stuff up. But you know, the reality is, when you, when you think of Christmas, that there are so many different emotions that people have in light of that. Uh, perhaps some people are dreading the season because they're reminded of a loved one that they lost this year that will not be there. Uh, perhaps for you, you're, you're just reminded every Christmas of how dysfunctional your family is. And when you get together, you're praying that conflict doesn't arise and that the wrong question doesn't get asked and the wrong statement isn't made. Now, Christmas can be a rough thing for people. But like for kids, there's a general, generally just this great excitement, isn't there? I mean, teachers, you know it, right? <laughs> like this season between like Thanksgiving break and Christmas break can be a very stressful time as kids are out of control, crazy, longing for a break, which makes you even more long for a Christmas break. But there's nothing uh, like the excitement of kids. And there's one word that comes to mind when I think of what kids say during Christmas season, and that word is hope. Oh, I hope I get the latest gaming system, whatever we're at at this point. Uh, for our girls growing up when they were younger, I hope I get that American Girl doll that I wanted. Like, you can probably think of things as a kid that you hoped you would get on Christmas morning. Uh, for me, nothing compares to the hope that I had wanting an Inspector Gadget action figure. Any Inspector Gadget fans? I remember this particular Christmas. It was in the 80s. Yes, I was born before the 80s even. And this Inspector Gadget, it was an awesome toy. And you know how the commercials, they, they dazzle it all up. And this particular doll, it, like it's not a doll, it's an action figure, right? Oh, man, come on. <laughs> uh, the hat opened up, and it had like the extending arm. You know the extending arm that he had? Uh, it came with an umbrella. He had an umbrella always with him. He would always have the wrong thing come out, go-go gadgets, you know, whatever. He had the, it came with a helicopter that he rode around with. I loved it. And I, I, that's all I asked my parents for that year. It's like, I just want an Inspector Gadget. And I was hoping that I would get that Inspector Gadget. And to my delight, Christmas morning came, and I opened Inspector Gadget. But here's what happened, though. It was broke. And that season, Inspector Gadget was the biggest thing, and we could not find a replacement. And so we had to take it back, and I had to settle with something else. My hope was lost. But what do you hope for, Christmas? Perhaps some of you are hoping for an engagement ring. Some of you may be hoping for whatever. What, what is it? You know, the reality is that's not the kind of hope that we think about as Christians, is it? The hope of Christmas for us, is a sure hope. Christ came. Christ paid the price for our sin and has made us right with the Father. This is a different kind of hope than what we speak about in the world today. Nothing compares to the hope that appeared in that manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. This is what Isaiah 9-2 says. This is a prophecy given to the people of Israel, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And then we read this in verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. If you remember, that was uh, the series that we looked at last year, was those names of Christ. But what these verses were giving the Jews, God's chosen people at this time when Isaiah delivered that message, was hope. And I think sometimes we, we miss out on the full effect of what that hope would have been like for them. Like, you realize when Isaiah was written, uh, they were in a place of hard times. They were in exile under the shadow of Assyria. They were kicked out of their country, and the, the nation was in sin, and Isaiah was hammering them on behalf of God. If there was one thing that the people lacked back in this time, it was hope. But here Isaiah delivered this powerful promise of a coming Messiah. But we're on this side of that promise, aren't we? We have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We have seen the sure hope of Christ risen from the grave. And so this season, this Christmas season, I want you to be reminded of the great hope that we have in Christ. So let's look together now at 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy that has been shown to us in light of your son whom you graciously gave on our behalf. Thank you that he faced your wrath so that we would not have to. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Thank you for the living hope that Jesus did not stay in the grave, but he defeated death and is interceding for us even now. Lord, this morning, would you encourage us? Would you point us to you once again, Lord? Keep us from growing familiar with the cross, Lord. This Christmas season, no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what we may be dreading, Lord, would you just fill us with great hope because it's a reminder of the Savior that came for us. Lord, thank you for your grace. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, when we think of the word hope, there are different ways that we can understand. Aren't you grateful, the joys of the English language? <laughs> you get one word and it has 85 meanings, you've got to figure it out. We, we've already talked a lot about the wishful hope, the, the, the not sure you're going to get it, but I sure desire and I sure hope that's what it's going to be that I get on that Christmas morning. But that is not the kind of hope that we are talking about when it comes to Christ, because we believe this to be true. Our hope is sure. Our hope is sure. As we look at those first couple of verses again, what we see here is that Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. See, the reality is we were, we were born separated we were born dead. We needed to be born again in order to find hope, and that's the hope that we find in Christ. He is our living hope. He, he died the death that we should have deserved on the cross, but he did not stay dead. He came out of the grave. He rolled the stone away, and he is our living hope. Jesus was hope you could see. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And he was chosen before the foundation of the world to be born and dwell amongst man. Isn't that amazing? Jesus left all the glory in heaven to come be born in a barn. See, when you, when you leave the door open, kids, and you say, are you born in a barn? You say, no, but Jesus was, right? There you go. He, he, he took on flesh. There is no wishful hoping with Jesus. He is our living hope. You know, this is the, this is the fascinating thing about Christmas for me. So every year we have a tradition. We wake up Christmas morning, and the first thing that we do is look into Luke chapter 2, and we read the story of Christ and when he came. And it's kind of a joke in our house, a little bit of a, a funny thing. They, every time I read that, my kids know that I'm going to do something while reading. Isaac, do you, what do I do when I read the story of Luke 2? Remember? I cry every time, right? Right? It's kind of a joke. Like, oh, we're going to read Luke 2 first, guys, tomorrow. Oh, yep, and you're going to cry. We know. Like, that's kind of like. What, but, but here's what rolls. Here's what goes through my mind when I'm reading the story of Luke 2. I mean, you have this innocent baby, this child who, who was born. You know, like if you've ever, if God has blessed you with children, you hold that baby for the first time, and you have all these hopes and dreams. Like, how much did Mary know? How much did she know that she was not only holding this boy that came from her womb, but she was holding her Savior, who would come to die for her sins. So when I read that story often, I can't help but be brought to tears to think of this baby came not to live, but ultimately he came to die for us. And we know that baby did not stay in the grave. Jesus did not stay in the grave. That's why we kicked off 
communion this morning because I wanted us to be in awe of our Savior and what he's done for us, that, that we would remember Christmas is not just this fun, light thing where we talk about baby Jesus, but we, we remember why he came in the innocence of this child. If Jesus came and lived a good life and then died like everyone else, we wouldn't have the hope that we have today. But Jesus defeated death. And look what it brought us in verse 4. An inheritance that is imperishable. Our salvation will never go away. It's undefiled. It can't be tainted. It's unfading. It's not like heaven is unfading. Heaven is getting closer to us. The reality of being with our Savior every day face to face. Every day that we live is one day closer to that reality. It's kept for us in heaven. It's not something that can be taken away. Our inheritance in Christ is secure. Our hope is secure. And therefore, our hope is sure. Nothing can take our salvation away from us. I want you to turn with me to my favorite chapter of the Bible, if that's okay to have. Romans chapter 8. You ever have that? You ever like, this is my favorite chapter? And then you think, wait a minute, it's all God's word. Am I favoring? But if, if it's okay to have a favorite chapter in the Bible, this is my favorite. Romans 8. I want to read a few verses looking at 31 through 37. This is amazing, good news, sure hope for us. Romans 8, starting in verse 31, says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Just think about that for a moment. You have enemies in your life right now? You got the world coming after you? Guess what? If God is for you, who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is what he's saying. Look, I gave you my everything. I gave you myself. I gave you my son. How will I not graciously give you whatever you need to survive this world until I come and come again to take you home? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect that would stand long term? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? How many courtroom decisions has Jesus lost? Not a one. He is pleading, interceding for you right now before the throne of God. And Satan may want to come and say, man, you're a loser. He's a loser. Did you see what he did, Jesus? Did you see what happened? Did you see the way he yelled at his kids? Did you see the disrespect that she showed her husband? Did you see the way that he failed to love his wife? And Jesus is pleading before the Father. Father, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Your sin is paid for. This is the Savior who was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, now these are not a list of things that will not come. Like, it's like if, oh, we're king's kids, and so we, we avoid these things. No, these are the reality of these are the things that will come our way. Will these things separate us from the love of Christ? Our tribulation, 
or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, when those things come, will they separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 36 says, it's written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Persecution has been coming after the church forever. And yet, here we are this morning praising our Savior because our hope is sure. As we think of Christmas and we think of our Savior's birth, let's be reminded of what the child grew up to do. Jesus is our living hope. 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. Let's look at that again. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not only is our hope secure, but our hope remains despite life's challenges. Our hope remains despite life's challenges. One thing Peter clearly wanted to make sure the Christians understood here, the ones he is talking to, is that troubles and trials will come. Later he goes on to say, don't be surprised, 1 Peter 4, verse 12, at the fiery trials when they come to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. The reality is there's, there's no escaping struggles. There's no escaping hard times. There's no escaping suffering. It's going to come. And this is promised by our Savior. Despite the junk that you want to, that some preachers are preaching about health, wealth, and prosperity, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome our sin. You see, trials aren't a sign that our hope is on shaky ground. No. Notice in verse 5 that we read earlier that Christians are being guarded through faith for a salvation that is to come. There's really, when you think about salvation, there's a three-part understanding of salvation. There's a sense in reality that we have been saved, right? Like if we've repented of our sin and placed our faith in Christ, we have been justified. Therefore, God looks at us as righteous before the Father in light of the Son's Death on the cross for us. We have been justified. We have been saved. But there's also a present reality of salvation. We are being saved. Like we are being conformed to the image of God's Son. Have we arrived yet? No, that's why we have sin. That's why we struggle. That's why we're a mess. But God is saving us. He is conforming us into the image of the Son. And then there's a future reality that he will ultimately save us. He will ultimately deliver us from all of the suffering that we are going through right now. And that's the hope for us. Like, I love in, I'm going to, I think it's Philippians. He who began a good work in me will bring it to completion. Aren't you grateful for that? 
Like God doesn't give up on his people. He doesn't come to the point where he's had enough and said, you know what, fine, I've given you enough, enough tries and you've screwed up enough and you've lost, you've lost me. I'm, I'm gone. Aren't you grateful for a Savior who clings to us? Listen, if, if Jesus responded that way, none of us would have a chance. If, if, he, was, if he looked at our performance and then based on our performance, he would, it was whether or not he would save us, then we would all be without hope. But the reality is, is he is conforming us into the image of his son. But you know what? We're going to face trials, as it says in verse 6. But there's a reason for the trials. There's a reason he brings those to us. It, it, it actually helps us in our lives. Look at the verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold. Do you, do you, do you believe that? Do you, do you believe that your faith in Christ is more precious Things that money can't buy for you that only faith brings you through. Eleven years ago, if, if you've been around here enough, you've, you've known that I, I lost a brother suddenly. If, if my hope was based on this world, I would have been absolutely devastated. And there was a sense where that was devastating. If you've lost a loved one, you know the devastation of it. But there's a difference between just being devastated because of the reality of sin and what it does in the world because that's why there's death. But then when you understand the hope in Christ, that is something that money can't buy. Money can't help you through a death, can it? It's not like you get an inheritance from family members who died and think, oh, well, life is better now. Like there's a sense where it's like, I don't even care about that. How much I would just love to have my loved one with me. But our faith is more useful it's more it's more costly than gold it's greater than anything that the world could give us and our faith is a gift from god isn't it now think about faith how do we how do we grow our faith we're right in the middle of heading into a new year and what do people make on new years for new years new years resolutions right one of the big things that we do is decide i'm going back to the gym <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever done that? You get fired up for it. You, you make the plan. You get the plan all set up. Or I'm going to take three days, and I'm going to do legs on one day. I'm going to do chest on the other day. I'm going to do back on the other day. And you get it all set up. You've talked to some people. You've got a workup plan going. Is, is that what builds muscle? By having the plan? No, what builds muscle? You have to execute the plan. Is the plan useful, and do we need it? Absolutely. If you... If you fail to plan, you do what? Plan to fail. Like the plan matters, but the plan doesn't bring muscle until you actually work it. And you got to beat your body and you got to bring your place to the, almost to the point of exhaustion so that you, you build that muscle. The faith is the same way. Our faith is the same way. Should we make plans and, of how we're going to devour God's word? Should we set aside time and like I'm going to spend this amount of time each day in prayer and the word? Is that a valuable thing to do? Yeah, absolutely. But if we have the plan and we don't work the plan, then what happens? Nothing. We don't grow. In, in faith, how does our faith grow? Let me ask you this. Does faith grow when all your I's are dotted and all your T's are crossed? Faith isn't strengthened in times of prosperity. 
We don't need faith when everything is just going perfect for us. This is why God allows trials so that we can develop our faith muscles. So that when really hard times come, when persecution comes, which is what he promised, we are ready for it because he has been strengthening our faith. There's a song that I'm thinking of right now. It's like, when trials come, no longer fear, for in the pain our God draws near. He he allows our suffering to come to remind us of our great hope. And, And let me ask, this is what our faith leads to. Verse 7, it, it leads to the, re, the result of our faith, the genuine, tested genuineness of our faith is praise and glory and honor to Christ. Isn't that what we're called to live for, the glory of Christ? Christ is glorified and honored when our faith shines. I know it's true for you. Who do you respect the most? Those who seem to have it all together? Or those who seem like they have every reason not to have it all together, yet for some reason they are hanging on? Aren't those the people that you respect the most? Aren't those the people that you want to be like? Like, let all of this stuff and what this world has to offer leave me. Let it go. Let it pass away, man. I, I, I want the faith that comes from Christ because I know that he is my sure hope. And even in the midst of rocky situations, I, my boat is not tipped over because of who my foundation is built on. Our life will have challenges But despite those challenges, we have a sure hope in Christ. Believer, are you clinging to Christ in your trial? Are you running to your Savior in times of suffering? And listen, find hope if if that hasn't been you. If you have struggled to run to your Savior, this is the amazing thing about God's grace. Is he's always there, ready to receive his people. You can repent and come to him. And understand that Jesus doesn't just meet us when we have it all together. If he met us in our darkest hours when we were dead, when we were running the opposite direction, then why would he not meet us in the, in the midst of trials after he has rescued us? He who did not spare his own son, how will we not graciously give you all things? So take heart, even if you are struggling in the midst of trials to have hope that he is there longing for you. Our hope remains despite life's challenges. Lastly, let's look at verses 8 and 9 again. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So our hope is sure. Our hope remains despite life's challenges. And lastly, our hope ultimately lies in eternity. Our hope ultimately lies in eternity. Eternity. The, the very idea of hope means what? You are looking forward to something. It's something that is yet to come. You don't hope for something that happened in the past, right? Like it's already taken place. Hope is something that is it's projected. There's a sense where it's deferred gratification. Jesus coming to earth didn't complete everything once and for all, right? 
is this the best that is to come? No, because Jesus is, is still at work. He's still collecting his people. He's still saving his remnants. So the completed work has not been finished quite yet. Yes, it's complete in the sense that we've been made right with him, but we haven't reached glory yet. And Christmas reminds us of a hope that is to come. Jesus came once, but guess what, brothers and sisters? He's coming again. He's coming to take away the trials and the suffering that you are facing now. There will come a day where he will wipe away every tear. He will cleanse every disease. He will make every wrong right. And we will be with glory with him forever and there will be no more suffering. That day is coming, brothers and sisters. Listen, there isn't a... But that, not only that, but there is this amazing joy that comes even now. Verse 8, though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. It's not just everything waits for us. He's given us joy now. Have you tasted and seen that? Have you had moments in your life where this is inexpressible joy, this joy that you just can't comprehend fully? I've had plenty of, of Sundays or different places where, where God like opens my eyes and enlightens me to the reality of the gospel of Christ. Where maybe it's through a season of just like, gosh, Ben, why can't you get it right? Why do you keep messing around? Why do you keep falling in this way? Why do you keep getting angry? Why are you so short all the time? And then I'm reminded of, Christ came, that he is meek and lowly, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And that joy fills my heart knowing that this is not it here. This is not our eternal home. This is not going to last. And I don't have to put all my hope. I can't put my hope here in this world. And, and ponder this. Even right now, do you realize that Jesus is preparing a place for you? He's getting ready, man. He's getting the home ready. Uh, how, many of you, how many of you love like the home renovation shows? Listen, I do. I do. Uh, what's her name? Joanna. Chip and Joanna recently did like this castle. Have you guys anybody, anybody seen that? Like there's just this long anticipation of like what's this home going to look like? Like at the beginning, like I don't know about you, but I walk into certain houses and if it looks bad now, it looks bad in the future for, in my head. You know what I mean? Like I don't know how these people walk in and have all these major dreams. And then like, but there's like this in anticipation when you're watching these shows. Like what is it going to look like in the end? Like, that's sort of the anticipation that we have. The house has been purchased by the blood of Christ. And it's being prepared for us right now as we speak. You don't believe me? Let me read John 14, 1 through 3. Let, this is Jesus speaking, by the way, John 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Believers in Christ, this is not your home. If it was, we'd have every reason in the world to lose hope. But Jesus is preparing for us an eternal home. The outcome of our faith is eternal salvation of our souls. He is conforming us. He is completing the work in us. Do you ever just feel like you're out of place? Do you ever just like sometimes just get overwhelmed by the sinfulness of the world and feel like this just does, this is not home? If you've suffered in any kind of form or fashion, if you've lost a loved one, there's that reality of like this is not it. This is not my home. If you feel that way, I believe that's a God-given thing. But I think too often the reason why we lack hope is because our hope is placed in the wrong things. We're trying to do everything we can to make this heaven. And when it gets out of place, we get all out of sorts because our hope is placed on our circumstances lining up with our desires. we got to be careful of where we put our treasures. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus speaks of treasures. He speaks of the dangers of it, but he also speaks of the joys when our treasures are in the right place. Listen to where Jesus says we should store up our treasures. Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Listen, when we store up treasures here on earth, what happens? Cancer can take it. A financial crisis can take it away. When our hope is placed here on this earth, relationships can take it away. Moth and rust can destroy it. But when we put our hope and our treasures in heaven, nobody can take it away. That's why Paul could say, to live is Christ, but to die is truly gain. He's like, fine, you want to kill me? Guess what? To die is gain. I'm with my Savior. Remember when he's, he's talking to, uh, I think it's the Galatians, he's like, to, to, to live or die, I don't know. I, my desire would be to depart and be with Christ. Our hope is not here in this world. we got to be careful where we put our treasures at Matthew 13, 44 says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Isn't that a picture of the heavenly-minded person, the eternal-minded person, one who says, you know what, this world, everything that this world tries to offer does not satisfy, doesn't give me hope. And so you know what, I'm going to give it all away and have my focus be mainly 
on eternity, mainly on the Savior, where nobody can take that. The question is, where's your heart at this morning? How are you, how are you feeling this morning? Based on how you feel, what is leading you to have those emotions? Because where your treasure is, is where your heart will be. Wherever you find yourself in light of Christmas, let me remind you, believers, our hope is sure. Our hope is unfading. We are closer to heaven now than we were yesterday. Our hope is living. He defeated death so that we no longer have to fear death ourselves. But beware, believers. Life will throw you trials and struggles and challenges, but our hope still remains because he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And remember, believer, ultimately our hope is found in eternity. Jesus is preparing a place for you. One day he will wipe away your tears. So be filled with hope this Christmas season as you ponder what that baby did for us 2,000 years ago. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the sure hope that we have in Christ. Lord, we, we are undeserving people if you were just to strictly look at our performance. But God, that's why we're here for you. That's why it's all about you, Lord. That's why we want you to be glorified. And anything good that we do that we are noticed for, Lord, may we just def deflect it all back to you because you are the one worthy. And Father, I thank you that our hope is not wishful thinking. I thank you that our hope is not based on our circumstances. Father, I thank you that our hope is found in you alone. God, remind us of the grace and the mercy that has been lavished on us, Lord. Keep us from growing familiar with the cross. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.